0: Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to our class on Martin Chemnitz in Caridian. We're looking at baptism. A little bit more to wrap up here. We'll start the day with the question of infant baptism. And then in fairly short order, we're going to go over to the Lord's Supper. Um, In the back of my mind, of course, is that we are drawing near. I mean, I still think we have some time remaining, obviously. But we are drawing near to... a. Deciding which text we're going to read next So i'll be calling those suggestions that i've gotten and then if you have any more I'll be uh, collecting those from you as well Let's open with invocation of prayer in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit Our father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, my approach will be to let Chemnitz do the heavy lifting here. And if I want to... uh, Supplement along the way, I'll certainly do that. Page 116, question 242. Are infants to be baptized? Yes, for baptism of infants was always observed in the Christian church from the time of the apostles and was defended and approved against heretics on the basis of the Word of God, as the very ancient writers, Irenaeus, Cyprian, Origen, Ambrose, Augustine, and Chrysostom testify. And of course, if those names don't mean anything to you, those are some of the most important, most foundational church fathers. And to have them all in agreement on this point renders it pretty non-controversial for anyone who's interested in retaining the teachings of the, of the small-c Catholic Church. Question 243, maybe more compelling still of an argument for us. Does infant baptism have basis in the Word of God? Yes, for Christ declares regarding little children, Matthew 19.14, Mark 10.14, of such is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And no one who is born of flesh can enter the kingdom of God unless he is reborn. John 3.3 3. And this regeneration and rebirth takes place by water and spirit. John 3, five. For baptism is the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 We've looked at some of these texts before in this class. Since then, Christ wants little children to become partakers of the kingdom of heaven. And that must take place through baptism. It is surely Christ's meaning, will, and command that little children be baptized. For the promise of the kingdom of God must be applied through a certain means or instrument instituted by God himself, that line is worth looking at again because it resummarizes maybe the entirety of the last class period we were together. For the promise of the kingdom of God must be applied through a certain means or instrument instituted by God Himself. So we spent a great amount of time talking about how what Christ won on the cross is given to you through the means or instrument of holy baptism. Kenneth continues, for the promise without application profits no one. Therefore also the promise of the kingdom of heaven, which is given to infants, Mark 10, 14, must be applied to them through a certain means. Now, scripture declares that this means is baptism. And he's going to just recite for us John 3 and Titus 3. Second, Christ also wants infants to be saved. For he says, It is not the will of the Heavenly Father that one of these little ones should perish. Matthew 18.14 But the Heavenly Father saved us by the washing of regeneration. Titus 3 It is therefore the will of God that infants be baptized and that they do not perish but be saved. Okay, so Christ includes little children in his kingdom Christ wants little children to be saved. Infants, here specifically the language used. And then on to the third. Infants are conceived and born in sins, so that by nature they are children of wrath. Psalm one five and Ephesians 2.3 here referenced. Therefore they must obtain forgiveness of sins, so that they do not perish but be saved. Luke 1 and Romans 4. But baptism is the divine means by which sins are forgiven and washed away, Acts 2 and 22. So Acts 2 is important because, if you remember, they're all cut to the heart of the Pentecost preaching of Peter. What shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. Immediately connects baptism and the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon you in baptism. This promise is for you and your children. I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but you and your children is explicitly stated. So that is frequently cited as one of the texts where baptism is directly applied to children. But not to lose the forest for the trees. This third paragraph is summarized that infants have sins, so they need their sins washed away. Okay, fourth. Christ wants and commands little children to be brought to him that he might bless them. And that's Mark 10:14 that's been cited a couple of times already. Remember the disciples rebuke, so little children are being brought by their mothers in their mothers' arms to Jesus and the disciples rebuke. It's a very easy to believe scene because no, the Lord is too important. He's not here to kiss your babies. He's here to do really serious business. And so those who are bringing their little children in their arms to Jesus, of course, they're not sitting there saying, okay, little baby, I want you to make a decision for Jesus so I can take you up there. Um, They're just carrying their babies to Jesus to be blessed by him. The disciples get in the way, and the disciples rebuke them. Jesus, in turn, rebukes his disciples and says, Let the little children come to me, for to them belongs the kingdom of God, or for of such as these is the kingdom of God. And then, of course, even more tellingly, he tells his disciples that unless you turn and become as one of these little ones, you will by no means enter the kingdom yourself. So the idea that they're riding in into Jesus' presence on their mother's arms, not doing anything, but just receiving Jesus and his blessing becomes the template that Jesus has for his adult disciples, that they too must realize that they are saved as little children of their Heavenly Father and that they have been brought to him in the arms of the Holy Spirit by pure grace and without any of their doing or choosing. As he says explicitly in John's Gospel to them, you did not choose me, I chose you. So this beautiful Teaching on grace from our Lord and on that the office of child, you know, especially the office of infant. What's the vocation of an infant and the holy calling of an infant? To be fed, <laughs> to be changed, to be changed again, <laughs> to, be, to be bathed, to be put to bed, to be totally and utterly cared for. And that is, becomes the template then that our Lord instructs for His disciples that at the heart and core of our relationship with Him, He, he is our, you know, God is our Father and we are His little children. And um, He's going to bathe us in the waters of holy baptism, feed us with holy communion, shelter us in the holy Christian church, clothe us in the righteousness of Christ, care for us, raise us, nurture us. On and on. Okay, so then that office of infant being one who receives becomes the template that Jesus would have his old, mature, wise disciples emulate. So, yeah, children need... um, They belong to the kingdom. They belong to salvation. And they have sins, so they need to be washed of their sins. Here then in the fourth part... Jesus explicitly commands that they be brought to him. Okay, second line of that paragraph that begins fourth. Now one asks, how is this done? And scripture declares that they who are baptized put on Christ in baptism, Galatians 3.27. For they are baptized into his death and resurrection, Romans 6 and 1 Peter 3. Christ cleanses and sanctifies the church For which he gave himself through the washing of water by the word. Ephesians 5. And this very thing is true blessing. Galatians 4 and Ephesians 1. It follows therefore that Christ's command is that infants be baptized. Okay, if I could just put what Chemnitz is saying in slightly different terms... The question of infant baptism is more than infant baptism. It really ultimately reveals one's entire theology of grace. Because infants can't contribute anything. Not works, least of all, but not even the assent or choice of the will. They're passive recipients of baptism. If you have the biblical understanding of grace, that's no problem for you. If you've got wrinkles in your theology of grace, then you're going to have wrinkles in your theology of infant baptism. Or rather, the discussion of infant baptism is going to reveal that you don't understand grace. Because the discussion of infant baptism, if you say, I don't want to baptize infants, why, whatever answer you give is usually some amount of condition put upon the infant. Well, they have to repent, or they have to believe, or they have to... So a condition is put in there, and then it reveals a cooperation on the part of man in order to ascertain or receive the grace of God. Completely contrary to biblical theology. So that's why the topic of infant baptism always has more than infant baptism as part of the conversation. All right, let me pause there, see if you have any questions, any reflections. Uh, obviously, he continues on. We still have the fifth and sixth parts of his argument here. Okay, I'm going to keep going then. Fifth, baptism of the New Testament, succeed, uh, succeeded circumcision of the Old Testament, Colossians 2. <clears throat> Therefore, just as in the Old Testament the covenant of divine grace was applied and sealed through circumcision, not only to adults but also to infants, Genesis 17, so also now in the New Testament that grace should rightly be applied and confirmed as by a seal both to infants as well as adults through baptism, since the grace of God was made not less but rather more abundant and richer in the New Testament. Great argument, Thoroughly biblical. Uh, Paul talks about baptism as the circumcision made without hands. And so infants were certainly circumcised. Infants should certainly be baptized. Because there's an expansion in the New Testament, more abundant and richer expression and fullness of the grace of God. It's not, circumcision isn't just for male babies uh, or The circumcision made without hands is for male and female babies. You see, the New Testament, baptism, the cutting away of the, not the flesh of the body, but the old Adam, the fleshly sinner within. Okay, we're on page 117. I'm sorry, I didn't mention that earlier for those who came in. Page 117. Okay, 6th. Isaiah 49.22 prophesies that in the New Testament, not only adults would be implanted in the church, but behold, he says, they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall they carry on their shoulders. And Peter says, Acts 2.39, this is what I was citing earlier. After he had baptized adults, this promise was made to you and to your children. In this way, also, the apostles baptized entire households. Um, references to this in Acts 16.33 and 1 Corinthians one sixteen. But where a household or family is mentioned, infants are surely not excluded. It is therefore clear and manifest from this that the doctrine of infant baptism is not only orthodox, but also altogether useful and necessary and gives very sweet comfort to parents and children. All right, so there's Chemnitz's treatment of the question, um, are infants to be baptized? What are some other arguments? Uh, Luther, in the large catechism, argues this way. Now you have to remember, he's in uh, Germany in the... 16th century where virtually everyone is baptized the second they're a baby and has been for many hundreds of years and his argument is in the large cate- in the large catechism is like hey guys if this didn't work we would have long ago ceased to be christian <laughs> as a people uh, maybe a little less compelling to us not in the circumstances but if, if you can imagine yourself in those circumstances quite compelling there was no such thing as an adult baptism for many hundreds of years other than the very rare exception Um, to put the biblical argument more tight you could simply adhere to Matthew 28 which you probably already have memorized where Jesus says make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now when he says all nations does he say uh, all nations as long as the people are under a certain body mass index over a certain body mass index no, red hair, no, absence of red hair, no There's no exclusions made whatsoever. Least of all does it say something like, "Hey, you should should baptize all people uh, except for all nations except for really old people." So why on earth would we then try to make the argument we should baptize all nations except for really young people? It's insane. It's asinine. That's really all you need. Full stop. Is make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's sufficient in and of itself. But of course, if you want to even go a step down from that, you can say then me just down in scope not all nations in view but entire households being baptized they didn't say okay uh, all the uh, all children under three need to leave the premises we're going to be doing some baptizing here uh, nothing like that households baptized and then of course then as you hear in um, acts chapter 2 verse 39 this promise is for you and for your children Objections are, as I mentioned before, that grace doesn't work that way. You have to have some sort of free will decision. Well, that's a misunderstanding of grace and a misunderstanding of the monergism, the working of God alone in conversion. The other argument made is that infants can't have faith. But alas, there are scriptures that directly say infants do have faith and can have faith. Um, Not least of which, most poignantly, John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb. Uh, David in one of the Psalms talks about you taught me to trust from my mother's breast. So, um, and then what's the obvious one? Oh, Jesus talks about the little micron who believe in me in Matthew 18. If you cause one of these to be scandalized, to fall away from the faith, it would be better if a millstone were hung around your neck. Right? Contrary to pro- popular interpretation, the millstone doesn't have to do with uh, pedophilia or pedestry. Um, it has to do with destroying the faith of a little child um, who believes in Christ. And then, by extension, any disciple, because we're all his children. Um, And then, as a subset of that, I don't mind millstones for pederastry. That's fine, but that's a separate issue. Not an exegetical issue, per se. (laughs) Yes, sir. Um, This isn't really infant baptism, but it, it... fell in there um, with the baptizing of whole households, Mm -hmm. where we read that. Um, That is the servants, slaves, Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, most of those were adults. And what about the ones that it might have been more or less against their will? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good What's question. What's the efficacy of that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't know that most of them would have been adults. Um, you're living in times that tended to love children a lot more than our times. Uh, you know, that, So who knows? We'll have to leave that an open question, maybe in this household one way and another household another way. But by and large, you're talking about... L- large extended families. And at that point in time, children were viewed as the strength of your household. Everybody wanted children unless uh, the child had some sort of deformity or the family was perhaps very poor and already at max capacity of little ones that they had to feed. Why you want a big family is because that's what's going to generate wealth and stabilize uh, your family. So we've destroyed all of that in the West, but on... I'm going to fight the temptation, roadie. Don't go down that path. Stay on course. So I will. Um, it is interesting, and it's something um, we, were, we were kind of talking around breakfast even. Nothing definitive. Just kind of uh, talking about and probing that question of households. It's just said in the Bible without comment. And I find that fascinating. Just as it goes for the, the paterfamilias, the head of the family, if you're under his authority, you're going to get what he tells you is good for you. Whatever that is. I mean, it's really, frankly, encompassing. <laughs> you know? um, his authority in that sense was absolute. Uh, so if he says, hey, I'm convinced that baptism is salvific, you're all going to be baptized. Obviously, some teaching accompanies. I mean, they don't just say, hey, Randy, come here. What are you doing, Dad? <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, get on your way. I mean, obviously, the Father is gathering the family together and explaining things or having them explained by a visiting apostle or whatever the case may be. Um, so there is teaching that's going along with the baptizing. Um, and then from then on out, there's some participation. It's not as if it's like a baptism and then the apostle or whomever just jumps back on the helicopter and flies away and you know they all live happily ever after and nothing happens you know, they're joining a local congregation or forming a local congregation. If the family's of uh, of maybe even average size for the time, that is the congregation. <laughs> and then people are, are starting to be pulled into that. Um, so when you think about it in actuality, in contrast, then um, could it be the case that someone within that family, adult slave, adult child, uh, scrappy 7-year-old says i don't believe any of this crap well sure it could be sure that's that's a possibility um, but it didn't enter into the equation of like okay let's let's go around the room and get everyone's personal consent that's just not how they how they thought so that's the best i can do is just kind of describe the reality of the situation and even if it's yeah even what if it's you a
1: is huge because now
0: yeah 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 that group
2: collective thinking is like non-existent
1: in many cultures it's maybe more
0: primitive
1: not so much but
0: yeah i don't really
1: advanced society
0: yeah i'd like to go back to some of the primitivity (laughs) so i i can't remember where i saw this that is the problem with getting old can't remember any of this stuff but i just i just saw quoted um, uh, the work of a Lutheran statistician, and uh, this is like his profession. It's one of the things he does. Um, but he, basically, his advice after calling his advice for parents after calling through the data is impose Christianity upon your children from the start to the to, to as long as you can possibly have them. Force it upon them. That's your job. And statistically, that bears itself out. Now, we don't do theology by statistics, but what we have what done is gone really to an absurd level of trying to seek individual consent. I mean, it's, it's really ridiculous. Uh, modern parenting, of course, is thoroughgoing in this. Do, do you want to have breakfast now? Make a good choice. There will be consequences if there's a bad choice. I, it's just all nonsense. Just all nonsense. I don't know how you raise kids that way. You don't. You raise little narcissists that way. (laughs) Um, But then there's a spiritual version of this where you go, you know, it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. You you say, I'm going to impose myself as a parent in, hey, it's bath time. No. You know, (laughs) reminds me. Reminds me, it's a dumb cartoon theologically, but but I love it still. It's uh, Mary's trying to get Jesus into the bath. And he's standing there walking on water all around, <laughs> refusing to get in. Uh, it's stupid, but it's cute. Makes you laugh as a parent anyway. Um, yeah, you impose, your, you impose your will on baptism. You impose your will on mealtime. You, you say, eat. You're not leaving the table until you eat. You can leave the table, but this is all there is. You get hungry later, you're coming right back to this plate. That's it. You know, um, you impose you impose all kinds of things. Hey, you're going to play a sport. You're going to do something athletic, or you're going to be engage, engaged in something with your mind. You know, we impose this all the time. You're going to go to school, or you're going to study right now at home, or whatever the case may be. And then all of a sudden, it gets to church, and parents want to be like, "Well, let's wait until he can make a decision for himself." It's the dumbest thing ever. You impose all these things that the child doesn't want to do upon him or her for their good and here is the greatest of all goods and you're not going to impose that so anyway um, i would really encourage uh, especially fathers who have that authority in the household to impose christianity on your family no matter what and don't sit around waiting for everyone's consent Uh, pull rank god's given you rank this is my house this is my dining room table well i work too it doesn't matter this is my house this is my table this is a Christian household and a Christian table. The Word of God will be taught here richly. And that's true whether you like or like it not. That Th- is so right? funny because going all the
1: way back to when my approaching
0: 40-year-olds are, you know, were little,
1: I used to say that, go figure. I have no idea why God put me in charge, but he did. Mm. And mm. I would tell them that. And then it got a little more, you know going
0: to argue against God? (laughs) Right. I don't know
1: why. Go figure. But he chose me for you. Right. Yeah, there you go.
0: (laughs) There you go. Exactly so. Yeah, so, um, okay. Yes, please.
3: Oh, correct me if I saw this incorrectly, but years ago, there was a little boy. I happened to be in church, after church, and you were standing at the... Baptismal font, mm-hmm. and you were talking to him, and I thought, mm. and I knew that he was highly resistant to coming to church. Mm. And then the next Sunday, you baptized him, and his personality, to my observation, completely changed.
0: Mm. That's great. You
3: know who I'm talking about?
0: I don't think so. Okay. I, kind of like St. Paul. I've baptized too many people. Right, I can't what remember. This Christmas maybe was, was like, one of them. I know.
3: Miraculous.
0: Yeah. yeah. The other
3: thing I want to mention is Psalm 139. You knit me together in my mother's oh, womb yeah. and all mm-hmm.
0: that. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. God has good stuff for us and oh. he gives us parents to, to give us that good stuff.
3: Okay. I've never thought this before.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But if you knew that your child was going to die in the womb
0: mm-hmm.
3: has it ever been thought to baptize a child
0: oh it's been thought but i wouldn't It'll, yeah i wouldn't do it i mean no any more than than david in that unfortunate circumstance with uh the son the you know, from the illicit union um, any more than he would circumcise the fetus you know or the baby or the baby i think was it born Was it born and then died? Yeah, it was born and then died. It wasn't still born. So any more than he would have hastened uh, earlier than the eighth day and circumcised, or, I mean, God forbid, circumcised a corpse or something like this. Like, it's not, I mean, that's why we don't baptize corpses or why we don't try to, you know, do strange things in the womb, Yeah yeah i so i mean we have we just have to remember something about god i have mentioned this before god is not sitting in heaven with a clipboard going like okay well i see faith mm, alas there's no baptism right it's just not god god is gracious god is merciful he understands he's compelling I, and david has no problem in trusting his son into the hands of of our, his heavenly father I mean, I think we we should be the same way where baptism can't have, We should just be dauntless and fearless that the Lord has taken them uh, to himself. Okay, yes, sir.
2: Um, along the same lines of um, the, making a choice or, or um, waiting for the child to make the choice. Oh, yeah. I, I heard somebody making the point yesterday of uh, um, if you are... Just doing things out of a sense of obligation. This is like within the life of the church as Mm -hmm. a Christian. If you're just doing things out of a sense of obligation or out of a sense of duty without a willing heart, Mm -hmm. uh, then you're missing the point. Um, And I thought to myself, well, that sounds good, but I mean, maybe a sense of duty and doing it just because it's the right thing, whether you feel like it or not absolutely a good thing and so
0: i love being a pastor but <laughs> not at 5 a.m <laughs> i don't love doing anything at five <laughs> so, so then you think yeah.
2: more broadly than uh with that that would be okay for adults too to just absolutely. go ahead and force yourself to do it and
0: absolutely yeah. these you know these kinds of um sophistic struggles that happen within lutheranism uh really would be gone if we all read the large catechism because the large catechism is just such a rich resource of like, you should be compelled out of fear of God to do your duty. Just over and over. Uh, you should be compelled by love for who God is to do your duty. You should be compelled by God's grace and his forgiveness of sins to do your duty. But in the end, you should do your duty whether you feel like it or not. So that's great encouragement for, for parents. And, then, and, and great encouragement to, to ignore whether... You know, if I, if I ask, okay... James, let me know when, you're, when you have a 100% pure heart so you can enter the sanctuary and go to church. It's like, it would never happen. And a little more deep, deep reflection, it wouldn't happen for any of us. You could envision being somewhere else and doing something else. So we always go about our duties on account of the dragging the flesh along with us, as it were. And, do, and performing those duties anyway. So one of um, this this particular piece of uh, uh, statistics was specifically to come to uh, explore and find an answer to: Does the imposition of Christianity turn people off? Turn like drive children away? So sometimes this is like the pastor's kid. This is um, that goes rebellious, you know. The, the rationale given is that if you overimpose Christianity, it'll be overbearing and they just can't wait to get out of the house and do something else. Again, we don't do theology by statistics, but the statistics show that that's not the case. That you should impose it. And, and so I, I know there's even kind of this, well, they're a teenager now. They're almost an adult. They're going to be on their own in a few years. I need to let them make their own. That's the worst possible time to let them make their own decisions on just about anything. Um, you need to impose it. And if they don't like it, they're a child. And they will understand later on what you spared them from and what you saved them from, um, including apostasy. If you just say to your average 13-year-old kid, hey, do you want to go to church or not? Your call what a disaster so no impose it on the kids um, that's the wisdom of the scriptures that's the wisdom of statistics <laughs> bearing this stuff out um, you're, you're not statistically speaking there's much more danger in letting your child make their own decisions than there is in imposing the faith upon them
1: and just to back up with science hmm. there is no Human on this earth, racially, culturally, economically. We are all the same. Our brains do not mature, and the last place is judgment 27 years. And I have studied and thought about this forever. Um, And that's for most of us. That's without being drug addled or, you know, all those things that we fall off the path with. But, is because you have to have your boots on the ground. I mean, like Einstein has said, experience is the birth of all knowledge. Um, You've got to have your boots on the ground that long where you, if you've been taught how to critically think or whatever by your parents, hopefully, which is an art that I see being lost Mm -hmm. in huge droves. But anyway, that's when you can finally compare and make a judgment about things that is probably going to be the finest as an adult. That you're, you know, that's when it finally all comes together. It's yeah. mm-hmm. so the last place, and so things have to be stored in your memory, you know. And, and the only thing I can figure out is why that why it's magically 25 to 27 years, and that's without drug addling and stuff. And that's not year for year, but there is catch up if there's been a lot of experimentation and other problems. Um, It's because it's boots on the ground, learning, seeing, been there, done that, you know. And if you ask, and this is just out of my practice when I've asked clients wondering, would you have made that same decision at 20 now that you're 40, you know, or 27? I have them even reflect back from 20 to 27, Mm -hmm. and they all tell me it's, no, mm. I am the same person, but that is not how I think anymore as a
0: twenty-seven-year-old. So, so all the more impetus, all the more impetus to push as long as you can and impose. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's um, yeah, it's even good when you've got adult adult kiddos who come back home and stay over the weekend. You say, "Hey, we're going to church tomorrow." Well, I don't want to go to church. Well oh, you're under this roof. You're going to church. Go find another roof to be under if you want. Um, yeah, so just impose it. Okay. So yeah, we baptize infants for the same reason we feed them. <laughs> we, because it's good for them and because we love them. Um, we baptize infants uh, e- even if they resist that baptism. Um, even if they're crying, fighting, for the same reason we bathe them if they're crying and resisting being bathed. It's for your good. Get over it. It's fine. You're safe. Okay. Okay. Let's jump on to question 244. But Christ joins teaching and baptism, saying teach and baptize. Are infants then not to be baptized because they cannot be taught? Answer, it is apparent from the gospel account that the apostles were also offended and disturbed by this question. For when little infants without bodily infirmity were brought to to Christ, the apostles thought within themselves, wait, Those little children are too young to receive either word or teaching. What then can Christ do with them in the matter of salvation? They therefore did not want to let those little children annoy Christ. I mean, I guess maybe you could appreciate that impulse. No, (laughs) therefore they did not want to let those little children annoy Christ by being brought to him. But they held that for them one should wait until they have grown up and become teachable. But Christ deals indignantly with their presumption and says with an oath that he can and will deal also with that kind of children brought to him so that they also can become partakers of his blessing of the kingdom of God. And a bunch of scriptures referenced there. By... Matthew 29:19 Teach and baptize he therefore did not mean what the Anabaptists imagine but he meant this that the word and the sacraments should be associated in the church for it is a washing of water by the word Ephesians 5 where the gospel is not taught their baptism should also not be administered Okay, so we talked about that earlier on in this class. That there are times where you would not baptize, and that's where discipleship isn't in view. Something else is in view. Where the gospel is not taught, their baptism should not be administered. But where the gospel is proclaimed, parents are taught that that promise of grace is intended also for their children. Acts 2.39 So then, sons in arms and daughters brought on shoulders should be brought to Christ. Christ wants to confer his blessing and the kingdom of God also on them. Therefore, just as in the Old Testament, both was commanded to teach and to circumcise, and adults were first taught, then circumcised, but infants were circumcised first and taught later, at a time when they were old enough to understand and ask questions so also does the whole ministry of the New Testament consist in the word and the sacraments. And when adults are first converted, teaching precedes and baptism follows. There's scripture references given for this um, throughout several chapters in acts. And regarding the infants of Christians, the same order of teaching and baptizing is observed as was of old, followed in the Old Testament in teaching and circumcising. For what circumcision was in the Old Testament, the same is now baptism in the New Testament. Thus John, writing to children of believers that they might know the Heavenly Father, gives them this comfort first, that they have forgiveness of sins through his name. 1 John 2. This applies to them since they are baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. In other words, John reminds them of their baptism. For that promise pertains also to little children, Acts 2 and Isaiah 49 once once again. Okay, so that answers the question when it says teach and baptize infants can't be taught. I mean, of course, even as mom brings them into the divine service, they're hearing the word of God. Even as dad is catechizing the family at the kitchen table in one way or another, they're being taught. When they're old enough to start responding verbally to that teaching, right, that's when you want to start paying special attention. Hey, can you pray the Lord's Prayer out loud? Can you follow as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Can you pray the common table prayer out loud? That kind of thing. And you do that verbal stuff. And of course, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole pedagogical theory, but uh, Luther was adamant that you teach kids the words first, not necessarily worry if they grasp the meaning. You give them the words first, and then they start to grasp the meaning in due time, and then beyond that, they begin to um, have an exchange of those meanings, an exchange of those ideas. So it's a way of building up from the ground first. And, and we don't, okay, do you understand what this means is less important than what does it say? Okay. All right. Good enough. Any, uh, any thoughts, any questions? Should we roll on? Okay, um, there's one over here and then in the corner, whichever one you want to get to first.
3: Uh, one of the questions I have is, is on the second page, when you turn the page that Christ said with an oath to the disciples. Mm. What is that reference?
0: I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at, I, and I don't, it's, where where it's are you exactly? the
3: exact- third line down at the end.
0: Yeah, I remember with it. With
3: their presumption and says with an oath that he can and will deal also.
0: Are you on 118, or what are we on? Five. Top of 118? Yeah, one, two, three, is is there a reference? Five, uh, he's mentioned Matthew five, nine.
2: Five
0: down. I don't. My, my guess is that that comes from Matthew 19, and I'm just not familiar. If you want to look up Matthew 19:4, you'll probably have an answer there. I just don't know off the top of my head. Okay. Um, also, I think it's the. I think I think Mark 10 is the one that's used in our baptismal rite in the LSB, and I don't recall an explicit oath. Unless I'm missing something, so maybe it's clearer in Matthew 19, okay. um, or else he's or else he's thinking of oath maybe more broadly than I am. Yeah. Okay, and then
3: back on 117, uh the second line in the answer for when with little infants
0: without bodily infirmity were brought to Christ, why does he add without bodily? Because if they were being brought with bodily infirmity, then he would heal them. They had an obvious need for him, that he could accomplish. But if they were just bringing the children, oh, oh, oh. like for the sake of having him bless them, what the disciples didn't see value; they saw wasting Christ's time. But Christ was happy to do that. It's great too because in the Mark text it talks about he put his hands on them and blessed them. So it's just kind of a beautiful picture of the tenderness of our Lord. Um, <clears throat> there's, um, I've got an icon somewhere around my office, although it's probably semi-in storage, and it's, I, lo- I love it. I mean. There, because it's got Jesus and it's got little children crawling all over him. Like, almost like he's like a McDonald's piece of furniture, like a play place, and they're just crawling all over him. It's fantastic. Because he loves children. He puts his hand on them and blesses them. He takes time with them. Um, it's, yeah, It's just fantastic. It's how he is. Yes, please.
3: It's so meaningful when you say teach the words first and the meaning later. I think yeah. of that with us. When we read scripture mm-hmm. for the first time, we may think of it one way. But the yeah. more we learn to understand, it takes on new meanings. So, yeah, Absolutely. teach the words.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and get the words first, the meaning next, the interaction of meanings after that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's the nature of the Lord's Prayer. Even the most simple and common prayer, we, it's inexhaustible. I never stop learning what's um, hidden in the Lord's Prayer and those words, what's meant, what it ties into. Um, just ever deeper and deeper different differing patterns and uh, ways of recognition even built within the structure of that prayer yeah it's just it's a key example of you're not you don't have to wait to know all that just start using the words okay very good let's move on then to uh, 245 is that right But it is written, he that believes and is baptized, etc. Now, since faith is by hearing, how then can infants believe? I mean, as if they can't hear. (laughs) Okay, well, Chemnitz answers this way. Christ expressly says that infants that are brought to him obtain and receive the kingdom of God. That is forgiveness of sins, grace, and eternal salvation. So, Mark 10, Luke 18. And he adds... Verily I say to you whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child he shall not enter therein But they that receive and possess the kingdom of God these are properly in the number or assembly of believers For without faith no one can please God Hebrews 11:6 and he that does not believe shall be condemned Mark 16:16 16, 16. Hence also circumcision which was performed also on little children, is called the Seal of the Righteousness of Faith, Romans 4.11. Therefore, there is no doubt that the Holy Spirit is given also to infants in baptism. He works and affects this in them, that they receive the kingdom of God, though we cannot understand and conceive the nature of that divine work. For baptism is a washing of regeneration, and of the renewing of the Holy Spirit, who is shed abundantly on the baptized, that being justified, they might be made heirs of eternal life. Titus 3. And the example of John the Baptist in his mother's womb shows that the Holy Spirit can perform his work in infants also before the use of reason. The reference to that is Luke one forty one. Okay, so infants can and do most certainly have faith uh, wherever it pleases God. Um, this is a difficulty for us in the West sometimes because we think of faith as having a cognitive content. And then that cognitive content, if we go even a step further, it needs to be expressible by one's lips. But this is not faith. These are fruits of the faith. Faith itself is an inclination of the soul in trust. So a good analogy that I'd like to give is um, Newborn baby in mom's arms perfectly content, she hands it over to some stranger not content. The baby isn't cognitively thinking, well, I don't recognize this. This isn't my mother. Um, you know, nor can the baby vocalize that or verbalize that. The baby just knows in his heart of hearts, this is familiar and I trust it. This is unfamiliar and I don't trust it. That's a fine analogy for faith. Where you are in a relationship of trust. This, I know who God is and I trust him. um, At a precognitive and pre-verbal level. And that's precisely then how infants can have faith. And we can scoff and say, well, I don't hear him confessing the Athanasian Creed. (laughs) Faith is a little deeper and different than that. Um, As the psalmist says, you taught me to trust uh, from my mother's breast. So even there, uh, laying on a mom's breast, relaxing, maybe having breakfast, His heart is lean, leaning upon the bosom of of God, and uh, perfectly trusting in God. So, life or death, I'm His. Yes, sir. Um, Well, yeah, I don't know how you want to do it. Got the obstacle course for you here.
3: So, how would you um, fit that
0: in the um, theology of total depravity, as far as the infant, you know, knowing the difference? Yeah, there so I mean we would on the one hand there's just no difference in age can even from the moment of conception forward I was using this language I think on this past Sunday a weed is a weed whether that's a weed in the form of a seed or a full grown weed a, a weed is a weed okay and it takes the intervention of God to make a weed no longer a weed Now, that intervention of God can take place simply through the word, even the word in the womb, indicated that John the Baptist in the womb hears the sound of Mary's greeting and leaps for joy. So he's hearing, and at the sound of her voice, He's leaping for joy in the Holy Spirit. So it does take an intervention of God, but God knows. um, and, And we can certainly point to those things that the scriptures themselves point to, the word. And then baptism, even after birth, because baptism is water and the word. And God can work through those means. That is the way he normally works, but I don't think we have to, I mean, nowhere in the scriptures does it also say that God is limited to those, that God would only use those. So God can do whatever he wants, is all I'm really saying. His normal means of doing what he wants is the word and the sacraments. Does that kind of help? So it can be different per individual. I mean, who knows? Um, these are things that we're just not given to know or probe into, and by extension, nor can we any more know or probe into the heart of our neighbor. They look like a Christian, they act like a Christian. Maybe in their heart of hearts, they're a hypocrite. Maybe on the last day, they'll be saying, "Lord, Lord," or whatever. Um, this is why the church is never merely a visible external reality, where you can say, "Hey, anybody who belongs to the church, the, the visible church is necessarily in." But as our as our Lord tells, there's wheat and Tears. There's wheat and weeds, and so uh, it's the Lord's business to make um, the wheat. Okay. Good question. Um, was there another?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, it was just a comment on what you were saying about. Basically, you were talking about like zero to three before language. Yeah. No. Um, and I am so. I'm so. Uh, Science, again, is just backing that up. We used to not think that you could almost abuse a child between zero to three. Even no. if they were no. sitting, even if every time mom and dad had the argument, let's just take a typical thing, um, and put them in a crib in another room, No. they were still affected. Yeah. No, and we found research has bared out that those children – when they went on into school, were the ones that were the most disruptive in school, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. where the abuse was never addressed because they had no words to address it and everybody thought, well, they just didn't, yeah. they weren't abused because they didn't mm-hmm. know what was going on. Yeah. But now we're looking, the science says, no, John mm-hmm. leapt in the womb mm-hmm. and, and we do know what's going on mm-hmm. You know, based by all these things. It's incredible, <laughs> even when you were talking earlier about using Martin Luther's large catechism that's a spiral learning curve mm. words first mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the meaning eventually comes when you're ready for it yeah. not oh, when wow. someone tells you you're ready for it yep. it's on your own own time so you know this is all so you know we have been decades millennia slow in seeing the science that is actually in the bible mm.
0: yeah great it's point it's
1: already there
0: great point yeah and spiritual, spiritual sanity is just, they're little people. <laughs> so, love them, preach the word to them, give them what what, what gifts of Christ oh, can be I given.
3: And the add on, too, by us
1: bringing them and realizing the power of taking them from zero to three to church and all that, we are showing them without words where to go for
2: comfort. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Back to God.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're
1: right. giving them that discipline of where they will find that peace that passes no understanding.
0: Right, right. That the teaching itself doesn't even necessarily have to be verbal; it can be behavioral. So, um, when mom and dad go to church, that you're teaching your kids uh, that that's of the utmost importance. Yeah, and uh, also undercutting that: if you say it's of the utmost importance, but then soccer league comes along and now suddenly it isn't, and you keep telling them no, it's of the utmost importance, you're just defeating yourself. <laughs> Okay, on to to 2.46 then. Do the sacramentarians... Remember, the sacramentarians are those that, by and large, think of the sacraments as being man's work and symbolic or acts of obedience. Do the sacramentarians teach correctly that the children of the baptized and believers are children of God and heirs of life eternal, also before baptism and without baptism. Chemnitz answer, this is an ancient error that Augustine condemned in the Pelagians and refuted de baptismo parvulorum. I'm not going to go through all that. In defense of their error, they misapplied the same passage as the Calvinist vaunt, 1 Corinthians 7.14, even though in that passage only this point is made, that a believing wife can in good conscience live with an unbelieving husband and bear him children. That's sufficient to remind you of what 1 Corinthians 7.14 is, but of course, if you feel like going and looking for yourself, you sure can. For to the pure all things are pure, Titus one fifteen. But Paul roundly and without distinction declares regarding all things that we bring with us when we are born into this world, Ephesians 2.3. We were by nature children of wrath, namely, not only that they are begotten of heathen parents, but also we, says Paul, who have been born of circumcised parents. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh and cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless it is born again of water and the Spirit. John 3. The promise of grace surely applies also to little children. Genesis 17. But there must be an application of that promise so that little children are brought to Christ. It has been shown above that this very thing takes place in baptism and through baptism. Okay, so it would be, it would be an abuse, and sacramentarians would teach this, I mean, I, they still do today, to say, well, uh, since the parents are Christian, the little child doesn't need to be baptized. They can wait until they decide they want to be baptized. They're sort of covered under the parent's grace or something like this. And that's a reason or rationale for putting off baptism, not doing an infant baptism. uh, Thoroughly debunked here by the scriptures, by Chemnitz. So really um, no excuse not to baptize uh, infants. So even Christian parents, that which is born of their one flesh union is itself flesh. And needs to be born of the spirit of God, by water and the spirit. All right, 247. Are then the children of believers who die before birth or in birth damned? By no means, but since our children brought to the light by divine blessing are, as it were, given into our hands, and at the same time means are offered or it is made possible for the seal of the covenant of grace to be applied to them, there indeed that very solemn divine statement applies the man child the flesh of whose foreskin is not circumcised on the eighth day his sh- soul shall be blotted out from his people genesis seventeen fourteen. hence the lord met moses on the way and wanted to kill him because he had neglected to circumcise his son exodus 4 Um, If you remember that account, uh, if not, you should probably go back and look at it. But if you remember that account, it pretty much burns itself into your brain. But when those means are not given us, as when in the Old Testament a male died before the eighth day of circumcision, likewise when they who born in the desert in the interval of 40 years could not be circumcised because of daily harassment by enemies and constant wanderings, died uncircumcised, uh, Joshua 5. And when today's infants die before they are born, in such cases, the grace of God is not bound to the sacraments, but those infants are to be brought and commended to Christ in prayers, And one should not doubt that those prayers are heard, for they are made in the name of Christ. And those are going to be promises that whatever you ask in my name, you will receive. Since then, we cannot bring infants as yet unborn to Christ through baptism. Therefore, we should do it through pious prayers. Parents are to be put in mind of this, and if perhaps such a case occur, they are to be encouraged with this comfort. All right, so a twofold point, you know, is a little, you know, a twofold point. Should you put off baptism because an infant can be saved by God's grace apart from baptism? By no means. That's the first half of the argument. Do you remember how angry God got at Moses because he put off circumcision? Don't put off the baptism. That's Chemnitz's first major point. His second major point, though, is that when circumstances have precluded that baptism, and he mentions some that precluded circumcision, how God was nonetheless merciful to them, when there are circumstances that have precluded baptism, like, for example, the child isn't even born yet, then we should simply commend that child to God, trusting that he is our gracious Heavenly Father, and with full assurance, know that he's, he's brought that child home to himself. So that's Chemnitz's first point, second point don't just because god is gracious and can save apart from baptism doesn't mean we should abuse that and neglect to baptize little ones presumptuously sinning okay that concludes infant baptism and that also concludes the section on baptism any remaining um, questions issues anything you want to address perfect so next week then Uh, We'll get into the Lord's Supper. The Lord be with you.